0: Financial Residency is proud to bring you Grand Rounds with Dr. Tammy. Each week, Tammy Kraus explores a new topic related to achieving financial independence by building and protecting your wealth. She invites guests who are experts in their fields who will share honest and valuable advice on a variety of topics. If you have an idea for a podcast, please email Tammy, that's T-A-M-M-Y, at financialresidency.com. Now grab your front row seat to this week's Grand Rounds. Hi, and welcome back to Grand Rounds. We've had many questions from physicians who are thinking of transitioning from a W-2 position, which is employed, to more of a self-employed or contractor position, like a 1099-type job. And most of us who have always lived in the employed world really aren't aware of the tax implications that might arise from making this kind of change. So I invited Brian McCook to the show. He is a partner with Ander CPA and Advisors, and he actually leads the healthcare practice side of his firm. Welcome to the show, Brian.
1: Thanks for having me, Tammy. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: I was so excited when you agreed to do this show. We just get so many questions. I mean, there's so many differences. You know, between the two sides, tax implications, the quarterly filing, whatever. So I'm really excited to have you here.
1: Well, I look forward to hopefully shedding some light to you and the audience as they go through that journey to decide what's the right fit for them based off the opportunities that are presented.
0: Sounds good. I guess let's start at the beginning. If you know that you're going to be taking a 1099 job, what's your first step? Do you need to set up an LLC or an S-Corp or where do you start?
1: Yeah, so certainly start with entity selection. That makes a lot of sense if you're going to go the 1099 route because having an infrastructure in which you're going to operate will impact how you're taxed um, when you file your annual tax returns. And we'll get into that in a little bit down the road here. Maybe I'll start off just at a big picture level of talking about the differences in a 1099 versus a W-2 decision. From that perspective, and even if a lot of physicians that are W-2 employed for their day job, I'll call it, often might be a 1099 as it relates to medical directors or doing locums work. So, you know, this situation, you could have a W-2 and a 1099 with the same individual. So pay close attention to the differences between the two if you fall into that category as well. What are the big picture differences between being a W-2 employee versus a 1099 contractor? The first is control. As a 1099 independent contractor, you have more control over what you do and how you do it. If you're a W-2 employee physician, often the hospital or, or clinic or wherever you're employed has a lot of control because you're their employee, meaning They put non-competes often in their contracts, so it limits you on what you can do outside of that practice as it relates to providing medical services without their permission. Additionally, as a W-2 employee, you're usually limited to just practicing within that particular entity and organization unless you get their permission to go and do locum's work or whatever that may be, versus if you're a 1099, you have a lot more control of your destiny, meaning you can choose which positions and jobs that you take. You can choose where you work, whether it's all local or, you know, do travel. So the control that you retain by being an independent contractor is, is much greater versus a W-2. You're really more confined and at the mercy of the contract that you sign to be an employee with that particular employer. So that's kind of a very high level. Some of the macro differences between a 1099 and a W2. So maybe we'll dive down a little deeper now and kind of talk about taxes and what are the difference in taxes of being a W2 employee versus a 1099 independent contractor. As if you're a W2, it's fairly simple and you could probably use the Turbo Taxes of the world to file your tax return, assuming that you're just a W2. Meaning, usually you get paid by the employer on either a monthly, semi-monthly, or bi-weekly schedule. They'll do the withholding of your payroll taxes, your income taxes, both federal and state, and often any premiums that would be due for the benefits that they provide, whether it's health insurance or maybe a profit sharing match or whatever that may be. So as an employee, you just have to show up and all of that other stuff from the remittance of taxes and all that is done for you through your W-2 withholding by the employer as a 1099 contractor, it's not quite that simple. As a contractor, you basically become the employer and the employee wrapped up into one thing. So you're responsible for all the payroll taxes, both the employer and the employee versus the W-2. You're only responsible for the employee because the employer is doing the match. So in the 1099, you're responsible for both. Uh, Additionally, you're responsible for determining what benefits you'd like to have and paying the entire cost of those benefits versus having an employer that may subsidize all or a portion of that, like the health insurance or CAF plans. So keeping that in mind, it can become a lot more expensive to be your own employer rather than having someone provide that benefit to you. So... Keep that in mind because as you get offers and you're considering which is the most beneficial way to go, you may need to negotiate a higher rate as a 1099 contractor because you are responsible for paying all of the benefits and the wages themselves to yourself. So just kind of keep that in mind as you look and analyze which one is more strategic for your particular situation. Any questions, Tammy, that you think should be clarified at this point, or should I keep moving on?
0: I feel like the question I have is going to take us too far down that rabbit hole, but are there some ways to get benefits as a 1099 contractor at a lower price than just going to random person? Are there pools of life insurance or pools of health insurance that you can buy into?
1: There are a lot of times you can go to like your local chamber of commerce and often they'll have groups that you can kind of buy into that give you bargaining power as small solo individual owner, or at least a small business owner that can kind of pool lives if it's health insurance or even go negotiate out to office maxes and those places of the world better costs to try to control that as a small business owner. So there, there are ways, and then there's disparities of the world that will you can buy in and get benefits through them, and they kind of take on all of that from the employer perspective. So there are different avenues to go to try to get preferred pricing versus just going out to the open market by yourselves and trying to find the best deal. So there certainly are avenues to try to control those costs. Oh, good. Okay. Moving along here, talking about some of the differences in the specific taxes that are due uh, from a W-2 versus a 1099. First would be payroll taxes, which we've alluded to. If you're an employer, as I think I previously mentioned, you're responsible for both the Medicare and the FICA, which is a 15.3% tax versus if you were a W-2 employee, you're responsible for half of that or basically 7.65%. So That other 7.65% is being covered by the employer on your behalf. The good news on that, though, is if you do pay the payroll taxes as a self employed individual, even though you're paying the full 15.3, you do get a deduction for 7.65 or half of that on page one of your 1040 to reduce your taxable income. So it's not all lost. You do get that benefit. So it kind of tries to equate out and level the playing field between W-2 versus 1099. Additionally, federal and state taxes, you're still responsible for paying them. As a W-2, we previously mentioned it's done through the W-2 that they issue you at the end of the year, and they do the withholdings as you are earning it throughout the year. Whereas as a 1099, you're required to calculate and pay in quarterly. And the due dates of those are April 15th, June 15th, September 15th, and January 15th of the following year. And doing that, though, you've got to be able to calculate what those estimates are as you go throughout the year in order to remit that so you're not underpaid and incur underpayment penalties and interest by not paying in enough as you go throughout the year. And we'll talk in a little bit about what the two different options are in doing that calculation. Yeah, with that, maybe we'll kind of move forward and talk about some of the tax deductions that become available to you as an independent contractor that are not available to you as a W-2 employee. So, you know, there are several tax deductions that employees are not eligible to claim, which once upon a time they were, but with the tax law changes a few years back, unreimbursed employee business expenses are not allowed anymore. Whereas if you're a business owner, those deductions are allowable deductions. The other nice thing I should have mentioned on when you're doing those calculations quarterly is you're you're required to calculate your taxes due based off the net self-employment income, which means your total collections less any allowable business expenses versus a W-2. Basically, every dollar that you earn is taxable. So there is a nice benefit that can reduce that discrepancy as we were talking about trying to negotiate a higher rate. because. 1099, you're responsible for all of your benefits and taxes yourself, but you do get the benefit of taking eligible business expenses that reduce your taxable income, that ultimately reduce your tax burden. So that's where it kind of gets critical and making sure it might be worth talking to a tax professional to help them identify and capture all the eligible business expenses to minimize that net self-employment income so you're paying the least amount of tax rather than sometimes trying to do it yourself and you know, maybe not capturing all the eligible deductions to you or, on the flip side, taking more deductions than maybe you're allowed and putting yourself at risk if you ever get audited by our friends at the IRS. So it certainly gets more complex and having a tax professional be part of your team usually is a worthwhile consideration. With that, let's talk about some of the specific tax deductions that are available to you as a 1099 small business owner. First would be home office. So if you're utilizing your home or a portion of your home as a home office to do your administrative work after you've done work at the hospital or wherever you're providing your clinical services that space that is dedicated and used for that administrative duties is an allowable deduction on your tax return. So the way you typically do that is you take the square footage of the business use of the home divided by the total square footage of the home, and that gives you the business eligible percentage of the home expenses. So if you have a hundred square foot of business space and your total home is 1,000 square feet, then 10% would be the eligible business deduction for all the indirect expenses. Some of those indirect expenses are mortgage interest, real estate taxes, insurance is paid, utilities that are 100% of uh, their repairs and maintenance to the home, security, you have the yard guy doing the yard work. So a portion of all of that, a percentage of all of those expenses would be eligible to be a business deduction on your tax return. So you know, all of those add up, and it's worthwhile to track and come up with a way to identify those. So at the end of the year, you can do that calculation to determine what is truly deductible. There is also a safe harbor you can claim in the home office deduction space, which is1,500 dollars. Assuming that you have at least 1500 of eligible home office deductions. And then you don't have to go through the specific form that you list and do all the allocations on. You can just kind of claim that as a safe harbor. Those are both options. Another thing to consider, which can be very beneficial from a tax deductibility perspective, are your auto or vehicle expenses. So, with the home office being your kind of core hub for your business typically when you leave there to drive anywhere for business related purposes that mileage is creates a tax deduction for you so your drive if you get up and do a little bit of administrative work and then drive to the office the hospital clinic wherever you're providing patient care then that mileage between the two becomes deductible then if you have to go to a couple different hospitals or back and forth all of that mileage is also eligible and then from the drive home from wherever you are. So all of that, while you're out conducting business purposes, it all becomes eligible business mileage. And you can either claim a business mileage rate on all the eligible miles for the year, or you can potentially claim actual expenses, whichever the greater is. The one thing to keep in mind is once you use actual expenses, you're required to use that for the remainder of the life of the vehicle. You're not allowed to switch back and forth. So kind of keep that in mind. And then obviously the one thing you probably hear the most about the vehicle is the write-off of vehicles if they have a gross vehicle weight of greater than 6,000 pounds. So therefore, it's not considered a luxury auto, which gives you more beneficial, lenient ability to write off larger portion of that vehicle in the current years rather than have to depreciate it over a long period of time. So something to keep in mind as you look at the next vehicle, if you're a self-employed individual. Some of the other things to keep in mind as it relates to eligible business expenses are the CME or CME travel that you would incur to keep your licenses current and required. Uh, Business meals, so anytime you're out discussing what you do or generating opportunities to potentially generate new revenue all those become eligible business expenses office supplies for the home office business travel you know one of the things we like to utilize with our clients and our practices in our with our physicians is hiring potentially the kids or spouses if they can identify a task or something that would be needed to benefit the business whether it's filing or quickbooks or whatever it might be, identifying ways for them to participate in the business with the skill sets that they have and generating a fair market value for those wages. And the nice thing about your kids is if they're under 18, potentially based off the type of entity you're in, they may be able to avoid paying in any payroll taxes. And then they would have earned income via a 2 that you would issue them you get the deduction for the service that they provided within your small business. And then they can take that, file a tax return. And as long as they're under the standard deduction, wipe out all that income, not have to pay any income tax, have earned income and then potentially contribute it into a Roth, where they can then let that grow tax free. So a lot of cool opportunities and planning out there for the right situation and for the right skill sets. And you know, identifying ways to get those involved for the long-term planning of the household, not just necessarily the practice. So there are some pretty cool opportunities out there to be aware of. Another big one is medical malpractice. Potentially as a 1099, you may be able to negotiate if you're in a contract with a hospital, having them pay that. If not, and you have to pay it, it certainly is an eligible business deduction that you can claim that will reduce your taxable income. Any annual dues, whether it's to your society or for privileges at the hospital or whatever that may be, those are obviously all deductible. Cell phone, usually as long as it's any personal uses de minimis or very little, usually the cell phone bills can be written off, iPads, computers, desks, all of that that's used in the home office. Becomes deductible expenses or at least capitalized and depreciated over a period of years, depending on the specific situation. Retirement plans, making sure you set up whether it's a SEP or a single member 401k, or if there are multiple employees, a 401k plan allows you to be able to defer money away and get a tax benefit for doing that. Recently, I guess it's not really recent anymore, but having a ROP option often can be appealing to. Especially employees, but being able to put allowing those employees to defer money into a Roth and paying the tax today to get the defer that all the growth tax free down the road versus just tax deferred could be a good situation and thing to consider. Keep in mind at this point, if you do have a 401k, any contributions into that 401k that are done by the employer, whether it's the safe harbor or profit sharing, have to go into a traditional plan rather than they can't be Roth contributions. There's been some discussion on potentially allowing that, but as we sit here today, everything has to be traditional, which does result in a tax deduction to the business, which reduces taxable income. And then the last one, which this could be a, an entire discussion in and of itself is the qualified business income deduction, which at a very macro simplified level allows you to deduct up to 20% of your self-employment income. So. You know, if you have hundred thousand dollars of self-employment income, you potentially could get a thirty thousand dollar tax write-off by utilizing this qualified business income, which would bring your taxable income down from 100000 hundred to seventy. It's a very complex calculation, but be aware that it's out there and make sure you take advantage of it to the extent that you can. So I've done a lot of talking here, Tammy. So I'll pause and let you ask any clarification questions, or if you want me to expand on anything, or keep moving along. I'll let, I'll let you tell me.
0: Talking about that qualified business income deduction, is that in lieu of writing things off in an itemized manner, or is that in addition to the itemized expenses?
1: Great clarification question. It's actually in addition to. Oh, wow. So you get all of those deductions. And then on top of that, you can get a qualified business income deduction after you've taken into account all the expenses. So you'd have your total collections, less all these expenses we discussed, and that would give you a a net self-employment income number. And then 20% comes off that number. Okay. So pretty impactful.
0: That is. I had no idea about that one. (laughs) That's right. And, And talking about retirement plans, I mean, a lot of us who are employed, we get some type of match from our employer. Is there any way to Equate that with the write offs that you get? I mean, do you get that type of benefit in the way you're able to file taxes that would be equivalent to a match that you would get from an employer?
1: Yeah. So you are able to set up plans where you can do the deferrals just like you would if you were a W 2 employee. Okay. And then typically, where the employer would make contributions in on your behalf, you're basically allowed to do that same contribution for the same amounts. It just becomes a business deduction to you but you're still putting that full amount into your retirement account. So you can keep it apples to apples and still put the same amount away. It's just you're funding it yourself okay. through your earnings rather than having the company provide a portion of it. Okay. Yeah.
0: And then one other question If you lived in a condo, associate or, you know, a condo had an HOA. Can you deduct that certain percentage, like a 10% of your office space in your home? Unfortunately,
1: no. HOAs aren't eligible. Okay. So, darn it. You're thinking, though. I like how you're
0: thinking. <laughs> well, I thought if I could pay for lawn care at my home, but I had a condo, can I use the HOA fee for that 10% deduction? But sure.
1: now. Okay. Yeah. But I like where your head is.
0: And <laughs> more money, more money, more money. <laughs>
1: That's right. <laughs> That's why we're here. We'll move along here and we'll talk about. What the estimated tax payments that are required if you are a self-employed individual? Okay, which we had mentioned earlier in our discussion. So you have two options. The first is you can pay in ninety percent of your current year tax, or there's a safe harbor where you can pay in one hundred and ten percent of your prior year tax if your prior year income was one hundred and fifty thousand. So if it was less than one hundred and fifty thousand, then you can you only have to pay in 100% of your current year tax. So so to kind of recap here, so you get to pay in the lesser of either 90% of the current year tax or 100% or 110% of your prior tax based off the prior year's income. The thing to keep in mind though is even though you're paying in on the lesser, keep in mind it's the lesser, which means there could potentially still be a tax liability due if you pay in on the lesser of. So from a cash flow perspective, we often have our clients pay in the lesser so they can keep the money and allow it to work for them while they're holding it, but maybe put it in some sort of a money market or some sort of a vehicle that they can convert to cash quickly and know that at some point, the CPA is going to come asking and say, Hey, time to pay uncle Sam. So, as you do that, just be aware of cash flow that if you're not paying in 100% of tax liability for the current year, because we're eligible to pay in a lesser amount, it, it doesn't defer that forever. So when you file your taxes, you'll have to actually pay that balance due.
0: Okay. If you are so, switching from W-2 to 1099, is that prior year based on W-2 income, regardless of what be. you're making this year?
1: Okay. It would be, unfortunately. Okay. So yeah. But the good news about that would be if you know you're in year one and you have all this investment on the front end to get your business up and going, then you can pay a 90% of that current year tax because it's probably going to be substantially less as you're making those initial investments to get your business up and running. That makes sense. Yep. Okay. And then lastly, we'll kind of just wrap up at a very big picture level here. So If you decide to go down the 1099 route and open up your own business, here are some key things to kind of keep in mind as you start down that path. One is choosing the business entity. We had talked about that. You know, if you choose to be a single member LLC, that will be taxed different than if you choose to be an S corporation. So... Just know that the type of entity you choose will have an impact on the tax liability and burden and the different tax returns that are even required to be filed based off that. So we won't go into that any deeper, but no business entity can be a critical component and, you know, should spend a little time familiarizing yourself with the different options to make sure you're in the right situation for what you're trying to accomplish. Secondly, getting an EIN. So You're not technically required to get an EIN if you're going to be a single member LLC and not have any employees, but we always kind of recommend getting that EIN just in case down the road you decide to have employees or you don't want to give out your social security number to anyone. You can get this tax ID just to kind of be safe. So it's a pretty simple process. You can go on irs.gov's website and have an EIN in pretty simplistic and quick turnaround time. So getting that EIN is important. Once you have that EIN, then you can go open bank accounts and do all of those sorts of things. So, But you will need to get that business entity and that EIN out of the gate because that's kind of the key for all these other dominoes to fall. Mentioned getting the business bank account. Be diligent and make the investment in an accounting program or some way to track your activity that goes on within the business. We see QuickBooks a lot of time being there. Sometimes some people try to use Excel, which is okay I guess if it's not a whole lot of activity going on, but really it's probably worth making the investment into like a QuickBooks package where you can track all that data, run the reports as need- needed, especially when it comes to year-end tax filing, being able to run the reports you need to either tax professional or do it yourself. Having that available in a click is makes it very convenient. So be diligent in having the accounting package in place. Don't forget to pay the estimated taxes. Know the different tax deductions that are available to you. We went through a bunch, but there's a whole bunch more that are out there. So make sure you are familiar and capturing all the eligible deductions. And then figure out your benefits, whether it's health insurance or disability or disability overhead or all of those things that you would want to consider retirement plans. Look through all those options and make sure that you have those addressed in their meeting, meeting your family's needs. Uh, IT, we really didn't touch on IT, but being in this space and being physicians and having potential connections with either the clinic or a hospital or whatever that may be. If you're reviewing patient files from home, making sure you've got a HIPAA compliant, certified way to transmit data back and forth is critical. So there's no breaches, even having policies in place, whether they're insurance policies, but also just written policies and like an employee manual of here's how we operate and do things. Here's why it's secure. Maybe even have a third party IT company. Either engage them to just be the oversight, or if you're doing it yourselves, have them come in, maybe do some testing, do a review, get that third party to sign off, which is good just in case the situation would ever arise. And it also will help as you go to try to shop insurance as well. With cybersecurity, being mindful of all of the hackers that are out there and making sure that you've got the right firewalls and all of that in place to just make sure all the data is protected. So for not only your sake, the facility where you're working with SAKE, but the patients themselves. I'll turn it back over to you, Tammy. I know we've been on here a while, so hopefully we haven't overextended our stay here. And
0: No, I think it's been a great conversation. You've given us so much information. (laughs) Now, I know you're based out of St. Louis. Does your company work with physicians across the U.S., or are you more local in what you handle?
1: No, we are actually have clients in all 50 states. So that's the beauty of technology, which we were just mentioning. Well, yes. so having that in place, we are able to virtually really work with about anyone anywhere. We do a lot of broader, not just tax compliance work, but we do a lot of additional business operational consulting work with a lot of our practices and hospitals and facilities that we work with. So Being able to marry all of those components up are important as you start to talk about revenue cycle and really all the things that make the numbers on the accounting side, how they're generated. So being able to complement and know how all of that fits together, we like to think, hopefully is one of the things that sets us apart from maybe some of our peers in the industry. So, but we'll leave that for another day.
0: Speaking of another day, when we were talking before, you were kind of talking about that business side. And you really surprised me when you were talking about helping some of those like small business owners or clinic owners, and maybe they hadn't even renegotiated their insurance rates in 10 years. So I definitely want to have you back to talk about, you know, ways to maximize income if you are a clinic owner um, by doing some things that just need to be done that haven't, you know, been taken care of in a few years.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, it's easy to get lost in the day to day. You know, we don't like to deal with insurance companies on trying to go get claims that we're doing daily pay, much less go back and try to ask them to get more money because you think they delay trying to give you payment for a claim that you've done, try to negotiate a contract. It can certainly drag on, but there's tricks and tools. And as long as you kind of approach in the right way, hopefully you can get better reimbursement and keep up with inflation and the way the rest of the world. Well, if
0: someone is... Maybe thinking about going into the 1099 world, starting an LLC, and they want to get with you before they make that jump. How would they get in touch with you, Brian?
1: Sure. I'll give two different options. First would be via phone. And my direct dial in my office is 314-655-5564. Or certainly they could reach out via email. And that's bmccook, mccook N-C-C-O-O-K, at anderscpa.com.
0: Great. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. And I look forward to hopefully having you back in a few weeks. And we'll talk about, you know, that business side for the small business owners.
1: Thank you, Tammy. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: And thank you all for tuning in today. I hope you'll join me again next week for Grand Rounds.